If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 7, 24 to 27. It's on page 812 in the Pew Bible. Again, that's Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that in this moment you would open our eyes to see what you have to say to us. We ask that this would be truly an encounter and not just an intellectual exercise, Lord, that this would be something that goes from our minds to our hearts to our hands, and that we would live your truth after your transforming work through your word in our lives, Lord. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name and in this moment. Amen. Rejection hurts. But there's a special kind of rejection that carries a special sting with it. And that's when you approach somebody and you expect to get something from them based on the fact that they know you. And then when you ask it, they look at you and they say, who are you? I experienced this when I was a kid. I, every day, maybe not every day, but it was pretty often that I would walk home from school. I was in the first grade and I had, I don't know, leftover lunch money, some change in my pocket. And there was this ice cream parlor on the way home. And a bunch of us kids would go in there and pay our pay a dollar or something like that for an ice cream cone. And I would go in there often. I'd wait in line and go up to the counter. And it was always the same lady serving the ice cream. And I always ordered the same thing. I wanted the half vanilla, half chocolate swirl on a cone. Every time I ordered the same exact thing. I'd recognize the lady and say hi to her. And one day... I walked in there and I was tired of ordering the same, saying the same thing all the time. And I was almost kind of embarrassed that I never changed it up. It's always the same thing. So one day I finally get to the counter. I put my money on the counter. And she said, what can I get you, hon? I said, I'll get the usual. And she goes, I'm sorry, kid. I don't know what your usual is. You got to tell me. I felt really dumb. I thought... Well, surely she would recognize who I was. I got the same thing every time. And I'm in here all the time. I live down the block. And now looking in retrospect, I realize, well, there was a lot of kids. That's a lot of ice cream cones. I get it. But I couldn't help but feel like just some nameless, faceless person, you know, just come in, get the cone and get out of here and no sort of recollection of who I was. Now, ice cream is neither here nor there. The one minute you're enjoying it, literally the next minute it's gone. But there's a more weighty matter that we want to look at today. There's an eternal matter that's based solely on one person recognizing you. 
That eternal matter is where you spend eternity. It's life or it's death. It's eternal freedom or it's eternal condemnation. It's heaven or it's hell. And where you spend eternity is based solely on one person recognizing you. You don't want to hear what I heard in that ice cream shop when you come up against the entrance of the kingdom of heaven and you face that one person who's Jesus Christ. You don't want to hear, I don't know you. There'll come a time when you'll approach that entrance. Will you be welcomed or will you be denied? It's all based on Jesus recognizing you or not recognizing you. Jesus thought that there will be many. There will be many in that day that think they know Jesus, but they don't. Like me in that parlor saying, well, let's get the usual. And then being shocked that she doesn't know who I am. I didn't expect her to know my name, but I just figured all the times that I've been in here ordering the same thing. I don't want you to know my name, my social security, where I live, just what I order. But she didn't even know that. But Jesus says there will be many in that day, many on that day. But Jesus says, I don't know you. And they'll say, Lord, Lord. I mean, they call him Lord. They don't say teacher or, or ancient prophet. I mean, Lord, but I look at all the things I did. I, I prophesied in your name. There were people who were demonized, and I cast demons out in your name. We did great things in your name. We started these big ministries in your name. We started these huge churches in your name. I visited people in your name. I, I, he, people were healed. I mean, it's all in your name, Lord. He goes, you did a lot of things, and maybe they were frequent. Frequent. Maybe they were really loud. And maybe you got a lot of recognition from people. But I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are. And then the next line that Jesus is going to say is not, so tell me about yourself. No, it's too late. At that point, his next response is, depart from me. You had a chance to know me and you didn't. You did a bunch of stuff, but you didn't know me. And now it's time for you to depart. You'll spend your eternity... Outside of my kingdom. Well, Jesus wants us to know that he needs to recognize us on that day. And he doesn't leave us guessing, well, how do we recognize? How do I know? How do I know that I'll get there and for sure he'll recognize? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Where surely, after Jesus teaches what I just explained about people on that day saying, I thought I, I thought I knew you, but you don't know me. I, I did all this stuff in your name, and it obviously doesn't grant me entrance. Jesus puts that at the end of this long sermon that we call Sermon on the Mount. It begins back in Matthew 5, and all the way through Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is preaching the sermon. And people are sitting on the hillside, and they're learning that Jesus is talking about, you can't just, it's not just about the law, it's about your heart. It's not just about doing external things. It's about an internal transformation, internal change that produces fruit on a good tree. And then as he's winding down to the close of this service, because maybe the sun is coming down and the wind is picking up and people aren't here, and he's closing to the, getting come to the close, he's landing the plane. And then that's what he tells him. He says, listen, many on that day won't know me. I won't know them. 
And like you and me are responsible people. I, I don't want to be that. How do I know that I don't end up in that place? How do I know that when I approach that gate, so to speak, that I, I won't be turned away? Jesus tells a parable. It's in Matthew chapter 7. If you look with me in verse 24. Right when people are asking that crucial question in their hearts and in their minds, Jesus tells them a parable of two guys, one wise, one foolish. In verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. See, but then there's this other guy, verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built the house, built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Not about you, but there's foolish people, but build your house on sand. When you read this parable, you're kind of like, come on, Jesus. I mean, who would do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to call anybody out, but every time I turn on the news and I watch the same houses fall down in the same landslides that happened last time, and then they rebuild the houses on the same land that is frequented by landslides, I scratch my head and I go, I guess Jesus was talking about real people. Well, there, there's a fault here, and every once in a while it erupts and the earth cracks open, but hey, we'll get you real estate real cheap. All right, let me move my family in. Why do people do that? It's not going to happen to me. Oh, that's so far in the future. Oh, my kids will be graduating out by then. I probably won't be home. I'm hardly home anyway. I don't know what they think. But Jesus is talking about there's, there's a wise way to build a house and there's a foolish way to build a house. You all know that. So he's using that as an illustration of something spiritual. And he says a storm is inevitable. What's even more foolish when we think about it is that You might prepare your house for flooding, but you're not sure the flooding is going to come. You're not sure of the storm, but this is an inevitable storm. Because this storm is probably not life trials. I mean, the sermon gets preached and we talk about if your life is built on the rock, then when the storms of life come, you'll be okay. That's not what he's talking about. The storms in this passage, the storm that hits, that great flood and that great wind that beat on that house, it's not you lose a job. Girlfriend dumped you, got an F on your test, or whatever. Anything from something that's kind of upsetting to stuff that really hurts. Loss of a loved one, your parents divorced, and everything in between. And it would be great to apply this to the problem and say, well, you've got to be found on a rock, then you can handle all that stuff. Well, maybe you could use other verses to say that, but that's not what this verse is talking about. The reason why is because if Jesus were saying, um, the one who does what I say, the one who does what I say, that's how we started this. The, the, the wise person is the one who hears what I say and does it. The foolish person heard it, doesn't do it. That's the only difference between the two. Their houses look the same. They use the same cookie cutter contractor. They, the, the doorway is the same. The, the window frames, the studs that were used, the sheetrock is all from USG. It's all the same stuff. There's one difference, one built on rock, one built on house. And Jesus tells us what the difference is. They both heard.
the same message. They both heard Jesus' words. One did it and one didn't do it. Then what happens? A storm comes. And one house falls and one house doesn't. Now Jesus was saying when storms come, you have to stick it through and obey Jesus. Worship him anyway. And if you're built on the rock, you'll be able to worship through those storms. It wouldn't make sense because what he would be saying was, those who do what I say, when storms hit, they do what I say. No. Those who do what I say, do what I say because when the storms hit, when the storm hits, they're built on a foundation, which is obeying Jesus, which is following Jesus. That storm is that day. When you walk up to that entrance and Jesus puts on his judge robe. And some of you are like, ooh, I would never want to face Judge Judy. She's tough. Forget Judge Judy. It's Judge Jesus. The only one with the right to judge. And the only one that can bring that sword and divide between eternal freedom and eternal damnation. And what he calls is the eternal decision. doesn't get reversed. No angels calling Jesus to look at the instant replay. Maybe you got that call wrong. Let's go in the dugout and check it out. None of that. Jesus calls it. That's what it is. It's based on whether he recognizes you or not. That's the storm. That judgment is the storm. So all the things that you did in your life that make you fail as a follower of Christ, all your sins that separate you from God, will one day come rushing in and beat against you in accusation. You do not deserve entrance because you did this, you did that, you did this. That's a lot of bashing. And if your house isn't built on the rock, your house is going to fall on that day. You'll be the foolish person. You'll be the person going, Lord, I thought I was in. Look at all the sermons I listened to. Look at all the things that I did. But Jesus goes, hey, you, those are great things, but you didn't, you didn't know me. That's the person whose house falls. The storm is that day, that judgment time. Will you fall or will you stand? That's the question, Jesus. That's the question on people's minds. How do I know that on that day I don't fall? How do I know that on that day I can stand and gain entrance? Jesus is saying, it depends on what you build your house on. If you build your house on sand, you're not going to fall. If you build your house on the rock, it'll stand. You'll experience eternal life. So, it's a time of reckoning. It's a final, eternal divide between those who truly know Christ and those who don't. And when we look really at the difference between these two people, you've got a rock person, you've got a sand person. Why does a rock person build his house on the rock? Well, it, it's going to take more work. It's more costly to dig all the way down there and hit bedrock. They didn't have, you know, machines and tools and tractors and drills. like we. I mean, that's a lot of digging. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of hired labor. It might be more difficult, more costly, but he does it. Why? Well, maybe he knows the storm is coming. He knows it's going to be a storm that will wipe out homes that are built on anything less than bedrock stability. So he does everything in his power to make sure that he's building his house on rock. He cuts through the sand to get down to the rock. It's not a surface house. It's deep. Then you've got a sand person. Why does he build on sand? Maybe he doesn't know a storm is coming. Well, maybe no one ever told him, hey, this storm is for sure. 
more likely he knows about the storm, but he just doesn't pay it any mind. Meh. Things is no big deal. Or why worry about the future? I think he probably feels like sand will be good enough. Yeah, there's a storm, but I got solid materials. Solid materials. Yeah, but it's on sand. House is standing up. It's not leaning. We had a lot of winds the other day, and it was fine. Shutters didn't even move. I mean, it was... Just thinks that the sand is good enough. Maybe somebody comes by and shows them drawings of the, the bedrock, and look, what are you, a building fanatic? What are you, an architectural, is this your hobby or something? You go around looking at homes, building all the way down to bedrock. People can't even see what's below the, the soil. What's, I'd rather take that money and just put like really awesome, fancy mold, crown moldings all over. You know, it's invested in stuff that's visible, external. But the guy that built his house on the rock, he's saying, look, if I'm going to spend my money anywhere, I'm going to spend my money digging deep and making sure that the house is founded on something unshakable. One of the reasons why we know that this is not something that if you're on that day and Jesus doesn't know you, it's, it's not an aw shucks moment. It's not an ice cream shop. It's not just a missed opportunity or just disappointment that someone this grand doesn't know your name. This is your eternal destiny. When Jesus talks about the house that was founded on the rocks, that it did not fall. But he uses more words to describe what happened to the other guy. He says in verse 27, the winds blew and beat against that house. It fell and great was the fall of it. And so it's not like, eh, so it falls. What's the big No, it is a big deal. No, people say, if you ask them, if, if God is real, and there is a heaven and hell, and you got it wrong, I mean, you, you'll be, you'd be in hell. Well, you know what? I don't need God in this life. I won't need him in the next life. Jesus, why Jesus spends so many lines in the Gospels describing what hell will be like. There's this local place, it's a landfill, it's a dump, it's called Gehenna. They will take all their garbage, what do we do with this stuff? I don't need it anymore. Well, we dump it in this landfill and then we just have periodic burns. They just burn all this junk. It's probably better for them, weren't. they didn't have plastic and PVC pipes and stuff like that, but... They would burn the garbage and there would be hot fires that smolder and just destroy all this stuff that was cast out from the city and into this Gehenna. Numerous times Jesus said, this is what it's going to be like. If I say depart from me and you don't gain ac access to the kingdom, you're not just a little kid with your nose pressed up against the glass going, look at the nice stuff they have inside the kingdom. I wish I was there. No, no. It's not some people get to have fun and you'll just be bored sitting on the outside. No, no. It's eternal conscious torment. Great will be your fall. He says the difference is the foundation. Everything else looks the same, smells the same, seems the same. The kitchen is the same. 
It's all the same. They all heard the same words from Jesus. Some of these guys even do great things for Jesus in his name. He said there's one crucial difference, and that difference is the foundation. And the foundation is not hearing God's word, but doing it. That's the rock. Now we say Jesus is the rock by extension, yes. Why? Because it's Jesus' words that you have to hear and Jesus' teachings that you have to do. So yeah, Jesus is the rock, but really it's, it's the hearing and the doing. That's the foundation. So the difference between the two is just in the doing. They both come in, they sit down, they listen to the message. Jesus says, be like this. They both go, amen. They take notes. They both have ESV Bibles signed by their pastor. No. It's all the same. The difference is when they leave these doors, get back in their cars, and go back out into the world, one of them's going, that parable, that, that parable that Jesus taught, I've got I've to meet people's needs. I've got to live with compassion. I've got to do what Jesus said, seize opportunities, and does it. You can't help it. Paul said, I do the things I do because I'm compelled, I'm constrained by the love of Christ. The other person goes, oh, that, was a, that was a nice message, and then, then the noise of life comes in and it kind of fades to the background and they don't do it. So that's the difference. Foundation is not in the hearing, it's in the hearing and doing. And those who will enjoy eternal life are those who do what Jesus said. This is all over the Bible. You remember when we went through James? James hammers this home all the time. Your faith without works is a dead faith. We saw this in the minor prophets back then in, in those olden days. Before they knew who Jesus Christ would be. Teaching them the same thing. Oh, you know, I remember Amos. Just God is saying, away with the noise of your songs. Ugh, sounds so horrible. Not because they were poor musicians. Because their hearts weren't in it. They didn't know God. We've seen this in other parables. Over and over again, God makes it clear. You're not saved by good works. But if you're saved, you do good works. It's the fruit on the tree that demonstrates, that evidences your faith. You know what's great about this passage? It's scary. It puts a lump in your throat. makes you swallow hard. But, but it's a, there's a great assurance in this passage. Even though the final judgment will be great, lots of sins and failures to throw against you, if you're here and doer of Jesus' word, your house will not be shaken. If you're here and doer of Jesus' word, it doesn't matter what past is brought against you. The wind will beat against the house. The, the earth will shake. The, the rains will come down hard on that roof, but it will not be shaken. That's great assurance. You don't have to wander through life wondering, is, is Jesus going to recognize me or not? I'm confused. Don't be confused. If you know Jesus, you're transformed by him and you do things as a result of knowing him. That's the transformed life. That's a worshipful life. Worship is not confined to just what we do on Sundays. Worship is out there. That's the transformed life. Eternity is guaranteed for you. You will not see destruction. It's built on a rock. Insurance companies promote themselves as protectors. Right? All state, just think of their logos. 
What's the Allstate logo? These, these big hands. You remember back, I don't remember, the decade ago, these big hands would come and move things around and protect the person. Allstate, are you in good hands? We protect, we provide. You can think of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And their emblem's got that shield. And it's like, this, this is a shield, man. If I sign up with these guys, stuff's going to happen, but poof, we got your back. I like Prudential's logo. There's a mountain range in Europe below Spain. As you're passing by, you see this beautiful outline silhouette of the Rock of Gibraltar. Back in the early 1900s, one of Prudential's advertising employees was driving by a similar rock face said, that'd be the perfect emblem. We want to talk about protection and, and making sure that when stuff of life happens, you've got assurance. We want our logo to be a rock. One, an advertisement they find in 1909 reads, Prudential has the strength of Gibraltar. It's got a big old picture of the mountain. Some advertisements in the past read, get a piece of the rock. That's kind of cool. Let's get a piece of the rock. Maybe some of the insurance salesmen close with that. You know, your life has all these question marks. If you sign with us, you get a piece of the rock. Now we kind of smile and smirk because insurance companies, you know, and the people behind the desk, and then when the stuff actually happens, they go, well, we're a rock, but I mean, I mean you know, and then they do all this other stuff. But they know how to advertise. They want you to sense assurance. So they want you to see when you pull that card out of your wallet, there's a rock in the top left corner. Prudential. I want you to get a piece of that rock. Feel like you're on something solid. We get insurance for a lot of things. We have life insurance, health, dental, renters, items that we ship. You want insurance on this? And so on. What if you could insure eternity? What if there was a company that would pay whatever eternal damage sin may cause you? Whatever eternal separation from God that sin causes, it, they would cover it. Well, no company can make that kind of payment. But Jesus does. And while you run around adjusting your insurance and making sure that things are squared away for your temporary life and things you want to leave behind for people and make sure that if your basement gets flooded, you're covered. What about eternity? What's your eternity based on? What's it founded on? It's got to be more than being nice. It's got to be more than signing off on a doctrinal statement. It's got to be a hearer, being a hearer and a doer of what Jesus taught. Accepting Christ's payment for your sin and the eternal fallout that's related to your sin. To protect yourself from that is to believe in him. It's faith. It's not works. It is faith. Believing that Jesus, Jesus paid that debt. No matter what you've done or where you've been. No wind will knock down your house if your house is built on what Jesus provides. 
the teachings that he provides. Once Jesus becomes your savior though, once he's your king, he begins to rule your life. And when Jesus rules your life, he does things through you that you wouldn't have otherwise done. And what he's trying to say is the people that I know, the people that I recognize are the people that were my citizens already in my kingdom. They were already my subjects. They were already doing, I was doing things through them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if your life is ruled by Christ, you have a transformed life and you behave differently. A true citizen of Christ's kingdom does what Jesus says. And for that person, there will be no condemnation. Now, I think it would be a shame to, to close this message without asking that question. Well, what do real Christians do? What does it look like? The hearers in Jesus' day had a real good concept of how to live a religious life. They knew what that looked like. They knew that they were supposed to read scripture or listen to it in the synagogue. They knew that they should memorize it. They knew that they should tithe. They knew that they should obey the letter of the law. And Jesus never erased that. He never said, you guys are obeying the letter of the law. That's not what I meant. I meant, no, he did mean the letter of the law. But they were just concerned with the facade. They weren't concerned with the foundation. They're concerned with the siding of the house. They're not concerned with whether it's resting on bedrock or not. Much like whoever built the leaning tower of Pisa, they did not mean to build a leaning tower. It looks really nice. It's beautiful if you go like that. Why is it sideways? It's built on marsh. So Jesus is closing his sermon by saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, they'll be granted access. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will not be granted access. Well, what words of mine? I just want to take a couple minutes. You don't have to look. If you want, you can turn back. This sermon starts in chapter 5. You can just look at, look at some of the verses in there and see that this whole sermon that Jesus is teaching is trying to pull people away from external religion to not obliterating externals, but to fill it with truth and spirit. So you're not just tithing because, ah, 10%, I got to But you're doing it because you see that the synagogue is a place of worship and that God is doing something there. And so he starts off with the Beatitudes. These aren't things that are easy to do because it takes being something. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Humility is hard to put on a checklist. Monday afternoon, be humble. Well, that takes inner work. Blessed are those who mourn. Ever find yourself resisting, looking at the newspaper, turning off the news just because like, oh, I'm so sick. It's always this stuff and I'm just so sick of my heart being weighed down. Let it be weighed down. Let yourself mourn. Feel the pain that God feels when there's bad stuff happening. This is what a follower of Christ looks like. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's stuff you can't put on a checklist. Blessed are the merciful. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things against you, you rejoice and you're glad. That's strange. How could you possibly rejoice when you're being persecuted? Transformation in Christ. You're being salt and light of the earth. You don't just keep it to yourself. You're out there, you're explaining it to people. Down in verse 21, you've got anger in check. The law says don't murder anyone. And you think as long as you don't commit homicide, you're fine. But He's saying if you've got this anger boiling up inside of you and you see someone, you you know, you're already off track. Anger is controlling you. You've got this stuff boiling up inside of you. That needs to get squashed. You may not murder the person, but in your heart you can't contain this anger towards them. You know, you don't physically go and cheat on your wife, but you walk in the mall and think she's not looking, you catch a peek at some of the posters they have up in the windows, and then that stays in your mind and you just toy with it. It's just in your mind. It's just in your mind. No, it's not just in your mind. Great will be your fall. Jesus wants to see a transformation that's so radical that the reason why you're not physically cheating on your wife is because you're not mentally cheating on her either. Your heart is sold out for God. And it's not just about external parameters. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. Not doing it. He talks about oaths and truthfulness. He talks about not retaliating when people go against you. He says, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor, but what about your enemies? Remember that guy that said, well, who's my neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. Well, what if someone's my enemy? Yeah, love them. Giving to the needy. Being prayerful. Fasting in a way that you're not announcing it to everyone, but you're fasting because of internal reasons. Laying up treasures in heaven instead of hoarding wealth. Christians are not, chapter 6, verse 25, Christians are not controlled by anxiety. What if you have legitimate reasons to be anxious? No, no. Do not be anxious. But I don't have a job, but I don't have this, but do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. God is in control. Trust that. Christians are able to trust that even when everything physically in front of them is calling them to not trust it. They trust that God is in control. That's a follower of Christ. Using the same measuring stick against yourself that you use to other people. Instead of looking down at people and judging them, hey, judge yourself. Are you a dirty sinner? Yeah. Were it for God's grace, would you be worse than that person? Or the same? Maybe. Swallow that pill often. Followers of Christ that live like this, they'll ask and things will be given to them. Things that they wish people would do to them, they'll do to others. 7, 12, Then he talks about there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. Few are the people that find the narrow gate. Why? Because they don't want to do all this stuff he just finished talking about. They want to do the easy stuff, the external stuff. But it's more than that. If your tree is going to truly bear fruit, this is chapter 7, verse 15 and 20. There's trees that produce bad fruit. There's trees that produce good fruit. How do you know if a tree is good or not? What's the fruit look like? That fruit is being like Jesus, following Jesus, not just in what you hear him say, doing what he says. 
You know, I I mention this often, I probably haven't mentioned it in a while, but I think one of the best ways to ensure that we are, let's ensure with an E, but to ensure that we're doing what Christ said is to be in constant connection with other believers, to live our lives face to face, to have face to face time with each other and say, hey, this is the sermon we heard. Jesus taught this parable. What are we doing to do something by it? That's why our small groups have typically been sermon-based. Because we don't just want to hear the sermon, they all go about our separate ways. We want to hear the sermon, then get, come to a place where we say, okay, here's what the message said. Are there anything we need to clarify about? Is there anything we don't understand? Well, I had this question, we'll talk about it. And come to a place where we go, okay, we understand what was said. What are we going to do? It's, it's finding ways to push each other and pull each other toward Christ-like living. And that's a life that's built on a rock. You don't want any surprises on that day. You want entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You want to know that the king knows you. You need to be a hearer and doer of Christ's teaching. You need to get a piece of the rock. Let's prepare our hearts for communion together. Mike, if you come on up. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward.